Bali Coffee specializes in light roasted single origin coffees, but once a year, the darkness takes over. Introducing the Darkest Day Halloween Roast, a blend of specialty beans roasted darker than any other offering we have ever done in the past. Available now at follycoffee.com. Only available in October. Don't miss out. A recording. Hey, this is Robin. This is episode 47 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. I am here with really great business owner and even cooler name, Brett Stryker of Maddie and Mays. We met, gosh, it's probably been almost a couple of years ago yeah. now through Stephanie uh, introduced us and we just sat down. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> I think it was like a half hour, you know, we had a half hour in the calendar and it just ended up being over an hour of like, oh my God, like, let me vent to you about this and let me vent to you about that. And yeah, just after, like the, after several reschedules. Yeah, <laughs> the entrepreneurial struggle, but uh, Maddie and Mays. For those of you who don't know, is a local business. Ooh, can I show? Yeah, I, I suppose. Was, yeah. So, making high end popcorns, but like, so I, I guess when I heard that for the first time, you're like, oh, okay, it's a popcorn company. So maybe like kind of like Angie's or something like that. You know, they saw Angie's success and did a similar thing. And then I had the first time the one I had was your birthday cake popcorn, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, the flavors are really cool. Like, I'm holding a curry popcorn here, which I've never had, which obviously is not a traditional flavor. And we've got some new packaging come through, lemon berry cupcake. And I loved your story the first time we met about, if I recall correctly, there was like a heavy pivot early, early on in the business and many since. But let's start just with even before Maddie and Mays, what brought you to the point where you go, okay, I'm going to start a popcorn company? Yeah, that's a... It's a really good question. I I got to I got to think back. Um, you know, I think that I always knew I wanted to start a company. I had no idea what it was going to be. I didn't even you know I didn't think it was going to be food. Um, but I s- kind of just started thinking about food a little bit more. And originally was going to open try to figure out how to open up a franchise concept for food. Um, started researching a whole bunch of different concepts and figured out that food is really difficult, especially a franchise model that you're trying to scale. And quickly realized that I wanted to figure out something that was dry ingredients, relatively inexpensive to produce that I could have on hand for a long time without worrying about needing to go through it really quickly without losing all my money. And I just happened to think of popcorn, actually, when uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine was was eating a bunch and putting toppings on it. So I kind of just fell into it. At what point... How quickly does it pick up where you go, okay, popcorn, I'm thinking of a business idea, popcorn as a snack is growing in popularity. I I remember from our previous conversation, a lot of it is, popcorn's a unique snack in the sense that you can have a lot of it, but if you have a lot of chips, you get through that bag, you're going to feel terrible, and the amount of calories when you look on the back is like depressing, but popcorn is one of those snacks that a lot of healthier people gravitate towards it because it's gluten-free, it's low-calorie because it's mostly air, really is what it is, but it still feels like a a great snack, and it's going to be more filling. So at what point do you come up with the idea that popcorn might be what I want to go with to where you actually decide this is the business I'm going to roll with? 
Another good question. I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I gave it a ton of thought really. And I I think it's like just recently, actually, after being at this at like five or six years where I'm kind of looking back and I'm like, what was I thinking? And I don't think I really was. I think I just was like, oh, popcorn makes a lot of sense. It's going to be difficult, but how difficult could it really be? And now I'm at this point where I'm like, it is really difficult. And, and I'm like, and popcorn, I'm like, I didn't, I don't know if I really thought this thing through, but, um, you know, I, I think that, when I realized that uh, I started making it, people liked it. Originally, it was going to be a sort of a replacement for like. Originally, I wanted to. After I realized I wanted to open up franchise stores, and that wasn't happening, I kind of had an idea that maybe popcorn could replace wedding cakes. Actually, so one of my first uh, flavors was a uh, lemon raspberry wedding cake, and people loved it, and I was really shocked. And so that kind of started me down this path of trying to come up with really unique flavors that weren't being done. And then, I don't know, I just kind of started going uh, down this unique flavor path and realizing people liked it and then I'm going to stick with it. So so with weddings, you mean like replacing the cake entirely or being... Yeah. Because I've seen yeah. people with weddings I go to where they have, you know, you need the picture of the slicing of the cake, but then they have something separate that all the guests... Yet. Is that what replacing you're... replacing the cakes entirely? Yeah, which was wild and <laughs> another reason why I like wasn't thinking through things. But you gonna... have to like kind of have that crazy entrepreneurial like anything's possible type deal, and I I, I must have feel like a different person now than I did then. But yeah, I'm picturing the entrepreneurial pitch to like imagine yeah. a world in which wedding cakes are popcorn. Is <laughs> yeah, I know it's like yeah, I like but seriously. that had to have led you down the path of the flavors that now find you today because if I think if you went from it from a traditional standpoint of popcorn flavors, I don't think the birthday cake I had probably would even exist. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I you know, knew, knew right away that if I was going to do something like this, I, I didn't want to compete against any of the big popcorn brands out there because ah, it still feels impossible. It felt impossible then. You know, those guys are just on a different level. I just wanted to, um, you know, just do something a little bit different and kind of replace some of my favorite foods, but in popcorn form. So whether it was ice cream or whether it was cookies or cakes, um, that was, that's what I was trying to do. So how long from that time where you're kind of trying to figure out is it a franchise well that does that's not it wedding cakes that's not it to having that first bag of what we know today as maddie and may's this bag popcorn uh probably two years two years i mean i i had uh i remember sitting in my kitchen in my apartment and putting some seeds in a, in a pot and then just like putting sugar at the bottom and trying to figure out how to make kettle corn i mean and it was sticking and it was terrible i didn't know how to make anything so it took a really long time to figure out like flavors that were a good. And then I was trying to come up with flavors that were unique, that were kind of like foodie flavors, but then realized pretty quickly that, you know, it, I got to come up with flavors that people actually think sound good and are going to buy. So I came out with these flavors that were really kind of out there originally and like, you know, pesto flavors or uh, like guacamole, I mean, guacamole or, so it was a lot of trial and error trying to figure out, you know, I had so many SKUs at once, but two years later, I quickly realized that I have to have less SKUs and I got to figure out a, what people are going to buy mm-hmm. and then b what, what I can scale. And so eventually, so two years I had those flavors that I feel like I can move forward with. And that was probably another year of trying to figure out how to produce those and, and sell them. Were you in stores at this time? Were you selling or was it more just like direct 
Um, it was selling to friends and family, okay. like graduation gifts, and then uh, uh, the farmers markets. Mm. Yeah. How was the farmers market? What was the reception when you're sampling people or selling at the farmers markets? It was great, actually. People were um, people were really surprised, and all I wanted them to do is try it because at that in those days, you know, four or five years ago, it wasn't so much about turning this into a CPG brand. This was really about trying to figure out, do people even like the stuff that I'm making? Mm-hmm. What would they be willing to pay? And then how am I going to like turn this into a business? And what happened was people tried it and they loved it and they kept coming back and they're like, are you going to be here next week? And I was like, you know, I haven't really thought about it. Um, and then I would have a couple store owners in the local neighborhood say, hey, you know, we've got a store. Would you be interested in selling this in our store? And I'd say, yeah, I suppose so. I would then go back home and figure out like what I wanted the packaging to look like and how, what I wanted to sell it for. And I would spend a ton of time trying to figure out how to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And I never actually like really took that next step to sell in those stores. But I had uh, like kind of a adv- guy that turned into an advisor uh, sit down with me one day and was like, Brett, just like, you got to figure out first if people are going to buy this stuff. So stop thinking through the packaging so much. Just throw it in a bag and put it in the store and see if people buy it. And that's, that's, that's what my mom kept saying to me. I was living at home with my parents and I was, it's all the stuff that makes me really nervous. The accounting stuff. And they were like, QuickBooks, QuickBooks, QuickBooks. I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want any of that. And she said, it'll all change. The feeling of all this will change once you have beans in a bag. Yeah. Once there are beans in a bag, then you're actually selling something. Yep. Yep. And that, I was like, that's not going to happen. And then I had beans in a bag and I was like, oh, okay, now I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable selling this. I'm comfortable showing people what we're actually doing versus trying to figure out like, what's the branding going to be like? And so we ended up launching just a generic bag and a sticker on it. Yeah. But I'm like, the the, the farmer's market and like sampling with friends and family, you're always going to get not 100% good feedback. Mm-hmm. And I don't say good in the sense of like good or bad. I mean, good, real. like valuable, yeah, totally. real. Yep. And so by doing the farmer's market, there's something about being on the opposite side of a table that people have no problem telling you exactly what they're thinking. You're on the other side of the table and people are like, this is gross. Yeah. Like, I don't like this at all. Versus yeah. friends and family will be like, you know, it's not my personal preference, yeah. but like I could see a big market for this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's just not their favorite, but there's a big market out there. Yeah. And farmer's markets and like sampling, people will tear you apart. Yeah. Like you have to find those people and be like, and so I, I do that a lot with people that I've just met where I go, hey, can you give me very honest feedback and when you preface it like that and it's not a friend or family member that's worried about damaging a personal relationship yeah you know it's something seeing them in person and and seeing their body language i mean a lot of people will look at this popcorn and they'll be like chocolate on popcorn or sweet popcorn and like they can't they can't even fake that they think that sounds disgusting sometimes you know they'll look at it and you kind of just get these reactions and then you kind of learn like okay if you're gonna if people are thinking about popcorn like that with chocolate on it and maybe their instinct is that doesn't sound good it kind of opened up my mind to figure out how to market in a different way eventually as I started growing um yeah absolutely and that's that's how I view the birthday cake because I get it more than I'd like to admit is that it's like I try to watch what I eat but you get the same flavor of like a decadent treat but it's much healthier than if you were to rock like a full candy bar or whatever so Knowing you and that, like your entrepreneurial mind, did you have like a, a category or like a type of consumer you were targeting and kind of building the idea around that? Or was it more testing different flavors and seeing what worked at the farmer's market and then going in that lane? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, I think. Um, 
and again, it it it, it was. It wasn't so long ago, but it feels like an eternity, (laughs) like thinking back about this stuff. But, you know, I didn't really have a target consumer in mind at all. Um, I knew that originally as I was going to open a popcorn store, I wanted to cater it. I wanted, you know, kids to drive, not literally drive their parents there, but if they're walking in a mall, like lead their parents there, say, hey, mom, dad, I I can't, you know, we got to stop in here. So I guess early on, it was coming up with flavors that like kids would really like, Mm -hmm. but then I have a, I have a twin sister who's a director of a preschool and she would say, well, Brett, whatever you do, you know, come up with flavors that like the parents feel good giving their kids. Mm-hmm. Like we're, you know, our parents come, you know, pack yogurt for their kids for lunch and the parents like t- remove the sprinkles from a lot of the flavors because of the artificial color. So early on, I started developing all these flavors that parents would feel good giving to their kids, but that they would actually kind of want to steal themselves. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I didn't have a business plan in mind. I tell people sometimes, or I tell people that like, I actually think business plans can really work, can, can work against you. Sorry if you can't hear me. No, you're good. Uh, Just pull a little bit closer and then you're good. Um, it, I tell you, you know, business plans are good because it helps you focus, but I actually think that it, it can be a little bit of a hindrance where you think so much uh, about what you want to do and get it right before you know, and when it actually, you just got to pull the trigger and and move forward. So, yeah, I have business plans and I just go, I have no problem scrapping it in an instant. And that's, that's where I found people really struggle is it causes the stress is like, if you try to fit, if you try to fit a plan, like COVID's a perfect example. If you're still trying to follow a business plan that you have good luck and just sleeping at night because just things change constantly. So it's good to have a business plan. And sometimes I do it just to keep myself focused on like a long-term goal of some sort, but that's, you get so many people that's like, what's your business? I have a coffee company. And yeah. so the second I meet someone that's like an entrepreneurial minded person, they will tear me apart. Yeah. <clears throat> Every person I meet, and I'm sure it's the same in popcorn. Yeah. You meet someone who's like that CPG, which is consumer package, good minded person that they're like, well, so what's your differentiation? You're like, it tastes really good and people really like it. I'm like, yeah, but like what makes you different? And you're like, yeah. We're really good at making it and yeah. we really focus on quality. And then also we have fun packaging and yeah. we have fun marketing and we make a really good product Yeah, and it's never enough because they, they want something like the new and innovative. Well, it's like, well, okay, what category are you going after? What's your five-year plan? And the, what I've noticed is people go, what's your exit strategy? And when I go, I don't know, like I'm happy that after coming up on three years, we're in business and it'd be really cool to be able to pay all bills comfortably with this business and that's it's like never a good enough answer when you're speaking to that like hashtag entrepreneur like what's your goal and so yeah totally i think uh it's funny i'm i'm the more i've been at this and the more i've gotten to know myself i realize that i just kind of think a little bit differently i'm not like much of a planner that can be that can work against me but it's kind of funny as i'm staying across from you i'm like he comes with this podcast and you don't have any questions written in your journal. Like This you, is to take notes. Oh, okay. But do you like, but you don't have any questions that you're asking no. me. And it's so funny. Cause like, I'm like, if I were doing this podcast, I wouldn't either. I probably wouldn't even yeah. have any questions that I'm asking you. And I'm like a lot of people, uh, you know, most people I meet would probably come with questions. I don't know. I'm kind of talking all over the place, but I think that it's just, you just have to have a mindset where you, you don't, you don't necessarily have everything planned out because you're going to have to pivot so many times and you just got to go with your gut feel. Well, you said it, you, you go, I didn't know that. I don't know that I thought about it fully before starting the thing. If anyone really looked into it and talked to enough people, you could very easily convince yourself out of starting something Yeah, because totally. it's, that's where I think you and I connect that it's like with a job. 
and a salary. It's I'm not saying there's not I, my last job at Sam Adams. I worked really, really hard, but at the end of the day, I can clock out and I'm not thinking about it till the next day. Yeah. And I've realized quickly that that doesn't exist in this world because there's always something to do. And guess what? If the business doesn't work, it's not like, oh man, my boss is going to be frustrated with me or I got, I just, I'll do better next quarter. It's like, no, that's your livelihood. And now you've got other people working for you that also their livelihood. And yeah, yeah. The good and the bad of, of owning your own business, being an entrepreneur. You mentioned you had an advisor that was kind of helping you guide even early in those farmer's market days. How did you find this person that was helping you along? You know, I think I, when I was in college and I had no idea what I wanted to do, I just like kind of decided that I was going to talk to people that I thought were successful. Um, I didn't even really know what success meant, but just people that I could like force myself to call that I was nervous to call and sit down with and get coffee. And so I accumulated a few people just like through friends and family probably. Yeah. And I'd go there and I wouldn't have any questions, but I stayed in touch with some of these people. Some, you know, you, you learn quickly who really enjoys sitting down with you and, and giving you advice. And, um, so that's, that's for this particular advisor, that's how I stayed in touch with this guy. Otherwise I had a couple of people that would reach out to me and was like, Hey Brad, I saw what you're doing. This is really cool. If you ever want to get together and talk, um, I'd love to to meet with you. And so um, that's how I met some other advisors. And uh, yeah, so. At, at what point between the farmer's market and being in bag, are you in your first store? Because that's the the, the big jump that I think a lot of people is, I'm, I'm going to be honest that it's not terribly hard to get a farmer's market business going, especially Minnesota, the cottage yeah. food license. I mean, you can literally just mail in. You're like, I'm going to start making this product. They're like, okay, you can do it. And yeah. the, the big step is going from the farmer's market because you go from a cottage food license, uh, which in Minnesota is like you can sell up to $18,000 worth of product a year. But then after that, you need your commercial license. You need, did you, were you producing yourself when you made the jump or how did you make I that? I was, lead? yeah, I was. And man, thinking back about like trying to figure out the licensing and, and all of this stuff, that brings up some bad memories. Um, but yeah, like I was doing the cottage food license first. Um, I was making it all in my apartment. And then I found a like a small little commercial kitchen that I could spend some time um, making all this stuff at. But because popcorn has like larger equipment, it was it was a little bit difficult to figure out where, um, you know. But yeah, I was I was producing all of that stuff myself during the farmers market, and then I quickly realized that I was going to need my own space, mm -hmm. and that was just a nightmare to figure out too. But so how did that end I feel up like being I'm like negative right now, but it's like, that's because so much of this, stuff, so much yeah. of this stuff sucks. No one yeah. talks about it. It's uh, no, it's so true. It's um, yeah, I, I, you know, I started my business from early on knowing that my goal is to, to really grow it. And my, in, in, I always wanted at the end of the day, I wanted to be, I wanted my end goal was to either sell it or have a really difficult decision to make. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to set it up where I could scale it. And I always knew that I was going to have to get into a larger kitchen and eventually grow from there. So I started with that in mind. So way before I was probably, I was probably ready to have my own kitchen. I, I was looking for one and it took a really long time and it was really difficult to find and eventually build or figure out somebody that was willing to build it for me. And Luckily, I started early because by the time I moved into my own kitchen, we were we really needed it, and then we were you know kind of outgrew that pretty quickly, and then then it really just became about space. And 
what I also, I just didn't know anything. Like looking back on it, one of the biggest problems that I had with my kitchen is I didn't realize that like, if you're getting trucks that are picking up your stuff, you need a loading dock. Like you can't get semis <laughs> going through. So that stuff I realized like that, that was stuff I had never thought about with the mm-hmm. kitchen and it just such a steep learning curve. But yeah. You, here's the funny thing about talking to you is it, I think sometimes you're very unassuming in the sense that you're like, yeah, you know, we started to grow and it's this kitchen and whatever. But Maddie and Mays is like distributed widely at Target. You've got a lot of big partners. I, um, what's the fruit bouquet company? Edible Arrangements. You're, you're a partner of Edible Arrangements. Yeah. And so it's like us talking, you'd think that we're doing the same thing. And I'm here delivering directly to like Lunds and Byerly's and, Quals- and like all the local grocery stores and doing some online business. And I'm here going, you're talking about like gaining like regional and national business in a sense that's like, oh, it's, you know, you outgrow this kitchen and that. I want to know about what it was like to go from farmer's market to your first store to that level. Because that is, I think to me, is like the stress I can't imagine is, uh, I think that's part of the reason I'm very, very careful about geographical growth. And I'm very, very careful about that. It's like the stress had to have been insane. But also, how did you even find yourself in that position where you're in front of those teams? You know, I think that, I don't even think I was necessarily even realizing it or cognizant of it at the time. I, I had such big goals in mind that I, I, when I went to my, when I went from the farmer's market to the kitchen, I was like, okay, this is just another step that I got to take. I, I do a very bad job of like stepping back and congratulating myself or, or looking at any of the progress I've made, which, (laughs) which is something I really try to work on because Mm -hmm. otherwise suddenly you just grow and it's never good enough. But I got to this kitchen and and I was like, man, that that was really difficult to open up that kitchen. Then getting into distributors and tell me if I'm not answering your question. No, the, sometimes yeah. I, um, no, the distributor is a good point of that question. Yeah. Because currently we, I, yeah. You know, Rob, I, I honestly, I just feel like I never know what I'm doing. I swear. <laughs> and so every single time I happen to like take that nut step, I'm just so afraid. Like I'm always afraid that I'm going to screw up or I'm not going to you know, do it the right way that I really never even realize where I'm at or what I'm doing. And it's good, but it it's, I'm just so motivated by fear. But so in those early days when I was like growing in within the state and in the region and, and things like that, I was kind of just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get these stores. I gotta, I gotta stay in these stores. How in the world am I going to do that? And wow, I need more money to do this. That right there though is that's something I did not know going into this that I imagine, cause I'm like you, that it's like you, you pick up a new customer. Maybe there's a second where you're like, yes, but then it's immediately like it's immediate stress of, Oh, now I have another customer that I could potentially lose. Yeah. Now I have a new group of customers that I have to make sure that our pull per point, which is the rate of sale per store. I got to make sure my pull per What's point called? is good. Pull per point? Yeah, yeah. See, I don't even know that. <laughs> so it's, I, I got to make sure my pull per point is good. I got to make sure. Pull I'm per point. Yeah, okay. I got to make sure I'm meeting the turn rates yeah. in each store. And and that's something yeah. that I think sometimes people will look at what, even with, with Folly being small, is like, they'll be like, oh man, you're killing it. You must be so excited. And I'm like, every new customer you pick up is a new, uh, a new channel of, of stress. Yeah. But I've found that the people who don't stress about it or think about it, are probably the ones that aren't taking care of their customers a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I had no, you know, I really didn't have any idea about any of that stuff. I, I, you know, I, I learned quickly that once you get a new customer, it's really hard to stay in it. And in, in that, like, 
I'm going to be very stressed out by it. But it's such a, it's, it, it's been so challenging for me and it still is really challenging of like trying to figure out how to balance that. Like how do you balance the stress and the excitement of getting mm-hmm. into a new customer and still needing to focus on the future mm-hmm. and still trying to take care of what's going on right now? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm going through just because uh, we're, we're opening up the tasting room this weekend and that's like, that's a different kind of stress because this is the first time we've had anything relatively brick and mortar where I'm like, oh, people people have to show up to this. And yeah. I'm like, why aren't people booking their reservations? And then I realized, oh, I probably wouldn't book it until the very last second because I don't plan my Saturday morning until Friday night. And, yeah. and then I'm, I'm realizing that it's like, oh, all the things I do probably stress out restaurant owners or whatever the same way that this is. And yeah, yeah. The, the Jeff and I recently had this conversation because it's how do you manage an off day not leaking into everything in your life and having it ruin absolutely everything. And there's no good answer for it. You kind of just almost have to accept that. It's like you're going to eat it on a lot of days. Yeah. I mean, do you think, though, that, like, you – do you crave that kind of that unknown and that that stress? Like, I – like on my bad days, I'm like, I hate that I'm like this, but I'm like, but I also realize I'm like, this is kind of my sickness, you know, and it kind of keeps me going and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I say the way I put it is that past Rob is a bad mofo. He is hard as hell and he is like so tough. And then current Rob, me right here right now hates him and that I just keep... And I know I'm doing it. I know I'm over planning. I know I'm over booking. I know I'm taking on way too much. Yeah. And I keep doing it because yeah. it's almost this weird thing that's like I I bet I can't do it, but we'll see. Yeah. Like I bet I bet I bet we can't. The gift do- and the curse. It, it yeah. Is. And yeah. it's it is something I've thought about that. Why do I keep doing that? But you go when you keep the gas on the pedal in that way, it is super stressful and it, it's hard to learn how to manage it, but it is, it's a, it's a weird sickness. Yeah. It's, it's like, I do enjoy it. I yeah. like, I take this weird sense of pride where you look at folly, where the core team is me and Jeff and having people go, how are you guys doing that? Or like, yeah. it's really cool what you guys are doing. Uh, and how do you keep moving in that way? Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> sorry to interrupt you, but, no, no. but as like the entrepreneur, you also like recognize these opportunities. Right. And then you, and you want to go for them. And I think when you asked me like kind of what the next step was of like going from the farmer's market to go into, you know, my own kitchen and mm-hmm. things like that, I, I would see these opportunities, whether it was trying to get my popcorn into stadiums or whether it was trying to get my popcorn into gift boxes or, um, even like, started doing some casinos. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just kind of took these opportunities as they were coming to me and they weren't even necessarily really thought out. And for a long time it worked, you know, it was a great revenue. But then I realized I'm like, whoa, I've got different size packaging. Everyone is a different distribution model. And then I had to like kind of stop and get rid of almost all of that business and just focus on like a couple SKUs. But now I'm kind of back to like, you you know, I've had... the business is a little bit more put together where now I can get back to like kind of thinking bigger picture and things like that. But it makes me really nervous to do that. Cause yeah. I'm like, I'm like, man, it's, it's tough. Well, I think one of the keys is that you do have a really high quality product. And cause I think about it of someone who's got a more commoditized product. Like let's say you're literally just selling popcorn, mm-hmm. like just regular buttered popcorn. And you're trying to get into movie theaters and things like that, where they could flip at any moment and be like, Hey, if I get five cents better per whatever yeah. I'm out 
and having a quality product and having a product that like you can showcase and be proud of is a big part of it. And that's when I get really stressed about things, that's, that's what I fall back onto with folly at least is, and Phil Terra on the cold brew side is like at the end of the day, what we're doing, <laughs> I told Jeff this the other day, cause he, we had a rough one and it was just, <laughs> I said, Jeff, look, like, let's say two years from now, folly just fails. And we just spent the last four years on something that fails. I was like, we just spent four years doing some really cool shit. Yeah. Totally. Like we spent four years doing something really, really cool. And we were able to live during those four years. So if you're always going to be looking forward and thinking like, well, what if this goes wrong? And what if that goes wrong? You're never going to enjoy that. Like, dude, our day is thinking about like, how good can we make coffee? And yeah. A lot of people wake up and think like, oh, I don't know. I was reading something that like the average person probably spends like uh, 30 minutes a day of real productivity. And then the rest of it is try to figure out how to fill your time doing enough that you get by. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like, that is what's terrifying to me. So I go, well, why do you keep over scheduling and all this and that? It's like, because I've, that situation scares me more. The, the conundrum of having the nine to five where your life, you have to be in a place. It's changing now. We're working from home, but that nine to five, you have to figure out how to fill eight hours versus like, I would love to be done after eight hours, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and so I I told Jeff that I was like, I'd rather be in this situation where we have a frustrating day because, but the frustration stems from we're trying to pursue something awesome Mm -hmm. and we're not quite there yet versus the frustration of like existential crisis and like, I can't believe I have to sit here for three hours, even though I'm done with my work or working from home. And just now with zoom, it's like just sitting at a meeting going like I shouldn't be here right yeah. now. So, so did you, so if you were like me, when I was starting this business, I realized that there was only so much I could do. Like when I'm starting this in a day, there were only a couple, like if there were only two tasks I could do because I just didn't have a business. And so it would actually give me a lot of anxiety at first. I'd be like, oh man, I'm trying to start this business, but I'm not doing anything throughout the day. And then I'd kind of be like, well, Brett, there's really nothing else you can do, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that like a lot of people go through that where like they, they, you know, have their heart set on what they're going to do. And then they only realize that they have a couple things they could do. And then eventually if you're not staying motivated throughout those several months of like you got to kind of crawl before you can run yeah. thing. Um, I, w- I went through the same thing because yeah. I was living with my parents and there was actually a period of time where I was, I, you know, I think my parents thought that I was like just yeah. slacking off the entire time. But I'm like, I have to wait for the state to approve this. Like we have to literally build the roaster and I can't build today. So I can't do anything. And then you look back on that time and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much free time I had. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Th- that in a way is more stressful to me. Yeah. When you're like, I want to do stuff. Oh, totally. That's, 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 that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. That's like, I, that was really hard for me. Cause like, I, I was like, I don't have anything to do. Like, am I nuts? What am I, what am I thinking? Like yeah. I, I've tried to start companies in the past and don't even ask me what they were. Cause I have no idea what they were, honestly. <laughs> but like, I know that the company that I tried to start had like a diff, I had a different email address that I, you know, I'd create an email address for myself. And then like weeks would go by and nobody would send me an email. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, this isn't good. But like now I like measure my success by I'm like, wow, I got like several emails in the last minute. I'm like, I guess I got a business. Fred, I got news for you. That's a terrible way to measure success. And that might be a part of your issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) What do you consider to be the first moment where Maddie and Mays becomes 
Well, first of all, where's the name Maddie and Mays come from? I've never heard this story. Yeah. So early on when I was starting this business, I had had a friend that uh, was involved with me and he had just had a daughter that was born uh, named Maddie and Mays, and Mays is corn. And then I had a cousin named Maddie. Um, naming things are is just, I hate it. I hate coming up with names. It's really difficult for me. And I tried to come up with a couple other names, but like the trademark had just been bought, you know, for a name that I had. And so I just kind of fell into it. I'm like, oh, I kind of like the name Maddie, and it sounds good with Maze, and yeah, that's the that's the story. Okay. No, I like that story because yeah. it's a great name, and yeah. I think one thing I've learned through, especially really great packaging, is most people don't even learn the name. They go, it, the packaging looks like this, and then they eventually learn the name. Yeah. But what do you consider to be the first thing where you go, oh, this is real now. So you're talking about this period of time where you're trying to get things off the ground and there's just not enough happening even to fill a day. And now you're to this point where you're like, I don't know how I can get everything done. At what point does the business become, okay, I'm doing a real thing now. This is no longer a made up thing. Oh boy. I, that, you know, I still don't know if I necessarily believe this is real. It sounds crazy. <laughs> I hope my investors aren't listening to me. But like my mom, I mean, my mom is like always like on constant pins and needles. Like, Brett, how's it going? And it's mm-hmm. just like, and I'll ask my dad. I'm like, dad, does, does, when is she actually going to think that this is something? Because we've actually got a business here. But then I'm like looking back, like I'm thinking about it as I sit here. And I'm like, I, st- and again, it's, I think it's that fear thing, you know, mm-hmm. never really believing that it's real. But I mean, I, I guess that, you know, I, I feel like it's, re- I feel like it's real kind of when I like need to hire employees a little bit, yeah. but honestly, I like, sometimes I still don't even feel like it's real. I think because the road ahead is so hard still and it's so long and, and I'm always just fearful of what's next, but you know, I guess it's a really good question. Honestly, I haven't like really thought about it, but cause I always am like worried that I'm running out of money or yeah. not going to have money or how am I going to f- survive and it's, I think it's that, uh, I mean, you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about how they're motivated by fear. And I think it's that, it's that the gift and the curse of mm-hmm. it. Like I'm thankful that I'm so motivated by fear, but I, but I hate it at the same time. I don't stop to look up. I'm always worried. It's like really uncomfortable, but it also motivates me. Um, so this is like really good that I'm here because I can like step back and say, I guess it's real because I'm, I've been doing it for five years full time and we're in stores around the country and, but, uh, you know, I still would like it to be bigger and I'd like to start saving money myself. And, and but, yeah. <laughs> and finding a distributor, is that the first time that you're able to begin to sell regionally and nationally? Is that kind of the key to unlocking that? Or how did you find that partnership? Um, you know, I, that's, uh, that's something that's been, that's been really hard for me. I mm-hmm. hear, um, you know, all these horror stories about young food companies that join these national distributors that can just crush them. Mm-hmm. If you, if you don't know how to handle distributors and distributors are going to be ordering and you're going to be around the country, it can like quickly wipe you out. So I actually have worked hard not to go into these distributors again, I guess, based on fear. Um, but eventually you realize that in order to get into some of the stores mm-hmm. you want, you have no choice, but to go to these distributors. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to expand within the state, I had to, you know, find a distributor yeah. that worked. But but it's only been recently that I actually started getting into these national distributors and you just got to approach them and try I, to... I think that's really smart. Uh, from the beer world, I've worked with, I mean, like well over 15 distributors in that world. And I realized how much of an impact a distributor plays within 
the way alcohol is, it's like very territorial. Like every mm-hmm. distributor has their territory. Miller Coors, Sam Adams here. It's always like Budweiser and Miller Coors, Sam Adams. And you realize your market share of like Sam Adams versus craft beer versus Bud and all this. It's completely dependent on what the distributor does in that area. And the mistake you're referencing about, I think a lot of people go, okay, I need to start a brand. I go to a distributor. They're going to scale it for me. And then I'm going to get really upset at them if they don't do the work to scale it for me. But that person's adding no value to the distributor unless they come in with crazy money and they can incentivize the distributor to a level that very few people have those kind of funds going into a, yeah. new, a new brand. The, the brands that do have those funds are the bigger brands. So let's say you launched a hummus. I'm this locally made hummus. I go to a distributor. If you're gonna if you're gonna start an incentive, the larger company will come and be like, "What's their incentive? Okay, we'll double it just so to not give them shelf space." But if you go as a brand new brand with no stores to a distributor and you say, I've got this brand, we've got really f- cool, fun, sexy packaging. It's a great product. Th- you're, you're not adding any value because you're not bringing anything to them. And then your leverage within that distributor is nothing. Yeah. And so even you saying that like I was hesitant, but there were certain stores I had to work through a distributor. You're now going to that distributor and saying, if I work with you, it's because we're going we're getting into these stores. Yep. So that distributor wants to work with you. And then part of, you can then have that conversation that like, Hey, we brought this business to you. Is there an opportunity to grow elsewhere? And I think a lot of the new brands think that the distributor will be the one that does it. And the, the only instances I think you see that work is when it's like a product that's so new or innovative or different that there's like that demand from the consumer. Yeah. They're I mean, the ones breaking down the door to get the product. Yeah. I think, I think it was the first time we ever met. I like we, we you and I got coffee together just because we'd been connected by Stephanie. And we were just going to talk about our businesses, but I learned, you know, that you were in that world and I had, I was like, I have no idea how to handle these, these distributors. And you're like, well, are you doing this and this and this? And I'm like, I have no, no, I'm not, I have yeah. no idea to do it. And yeah, I mean, these distributors also have businesses that, you know, if that, if the product that they're carrying isn't selling well, they're not going to take the time necessarily. And I think that has been really hard for me also is like, you can have a distributor that gets you, you know, that places you in these stores. They're not necessarily going to sell you in, but mm-hmm. once you're in these stores, like you need to figure out how you're watching your own product in these stores yeah. too. And that I still haven't figured out. Yeah. And like, I'm like, we're expanding nationally. I'm like, I have no idea what we're going to do, but it's hard. Yeah. It's like the distributor can get you into the store, but then it's your responsibility for pulling through the store. You, you're the one that needs to work with that store to set up programs. And then you run into the competition of larger brands, pretty much control the shelf. They control a lot of the advertising programs because they've got the dollars to be able to support all of these initiatives and programs. And so you need the, it's finding the distributors and the partners that have all the same values and see what you're doing. And wasn't your target launch, wasn't it kind of a part of a unique program that even got you in those stores in the first place? Yeah, I got really lucky with Target. Um, Target had come out with a local program where they were just selecting a, a handful, like 10, 12 local brands that they were just going to trial in a single store. And I got selected to be part of that. And as we expanded in those stores, eventually I had to have a distributor. I was just distributing with my dad um, and we'd go in at night and I, we couldn't handle that anymore. So we got set up with a distributor through the relationship with Target. Yeah, but that's exactly right. Yeah, and then, then there's an example of you go to the distributor and say, hey, we need a distributor yep. to distribute us to Target. Yeah. And that distributor immediately, even if you don't think so, is taking you at least somewhat seriously. Yeah. Versus if you go and you're going, why aren't we in these stores? And they're going, why aren't you selling us in these stores? And it ends up immediately being a contentious relationship. And I think a lot of, uh, especially in food and beverage, people expect a distributor that's like, I've got this amazing product, taste it. And they go, 
Yeah. There's lots of great products yeah. out there. And to be, you know, I'm in coffee and I understand that most people don't give a rip about the quality difference until they taste it. But like, if you're just talking about beans and you're trying to explain it and this and that, it's a big part of why we did the tasting room is like, yeah. we need something on the customer side where customers are talking about, cause we don't have that right now. Right. And it, the, the distribution side is like the, it, it's a, it can be very rewarding, but it can also be extremely frustrating. And so that's kind of like, so like on our cafe restaurant side, it's been extremely rewarding because we work with Berry Coffee locally. They've allowed us to have an equipment partner. And so we can work with restaurants and have the full package. But I've been super hesitant on the grocery side because of what you're saying. A lot of those challenges come forward. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, yeah, that's in each one is a very different distribution model. I mean, for, so we, when I, I mentioned earlier that we were working with some caterers, we were doing some uh, stadiums, and then we were doing some grocery stores, and each one is a, is a different model. There's different pricing, there's different management behind it. I wish I could do it all, um, but, you know, for me, we want, my original goal was for, you know, if I could get into a stadiums, it would give people the ability to sample the popcorn mm-hmm. where they can go into the store and then buy it. COVID has you know, obviously it's challenging because people aren't, aren't doing tastings anymore at grocery stores. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, what you're doing with Folly and, and doing that tasting room, I think is, uh, is, is awesome. I wish I could just open up a popcorn store that yeah. we just sample it and just, uh, I don't know. I just went on a tangent there, but <laughs> no, it, it's, and it, it's funny because I think being on the other side and seeing you nationally distributed, I just imagine, oh, he's got this big machine behind. I've said this exact phrase before that you see these companies, you go, oh, they've got some big machine behind them. They've got something driving them, something that's, you know, somebody funding everything. And then I go to, this is a few months ago, oh, way more than a few months ago because your dad was sampling. But I'm like, oh, you're, uh, you're Brett's dad. Yeah, <laughs> I go, yeah. oh, this is really like everybody's, uh, it was this moment that I go, oh, you he really is like he's doing it like yeah. that, that it's, it's this company that you see what they're doing and you just think it's a whole different thing. But in reality, it's, it's grinding away and like, Hey, if my dad's going to sample, I'll, that's a way better person to sample than trying to hire it out or spend more money or yeah. what? <laughs> if you could see how the sausage is made, right? Like, yeah. you know, you wouldn't believe it. So yeah, it's uh how did the partnership with edible arrangements begin? Cause that's, that's, an, that's, I would never even think of that. Yeah. And yet when I think about it, I go, okay, someone who's buying someone an edible arrangement wants to send them like a unique gift. That's also delicious. And yeah. so it, it makes sense in a weird way, but how does that come to be? Yeah. So, um, it, we, there's, there's these food shows around the country, uh, and we happen to be at a food show, but one of the employees of the food show happened to try the popcorn long before the food show, just like through a friend. And when we had our booth at the food show, this guy that was uh, an employee of the food show grabbed one of his friends that was high up at Edible Arrangements, like, hey, you have to try this popcorn. So they brought Edible Arrangements to our booth. And at the time, I'm like, kind of pinched myself, like, well, this is Edible Arrangements. This is like, (laughs) kind of crazy. Um, And, you know, Edible wanted us to, you know, manufacture different flavors for them and you know, I was really focused on trying to build a brand. So it took a long time where, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to say yes or what, but we got really, really lucky where somebody just tried the popcorn and introduced us to edible arrangements. That goes back to my point about the quality of the product is I think too often people look at something and go, Oh, I could do that same thing locally and then we'll grow. 
but you're going to run into that wall that if you don't actually have a better product, it's, you're going to run into a wall and it's often, and food and beverage, especially like when you look at what happened with craft beer and I'm from the craft beer world, I know I reference it probably just about every episode of this podcast, but even when I started in 2013, local was still like, isn't made in my state, but that started from like, oh, I want beer from the West coast. Then it was like, I want beer from my region, then my state. And it's at the point now in 2020 that's like, I, if it's not made in my zip code, it's not really a local beer. And so if you don't have a product that's different enough, you're going to run into the same thing with food products. And by having something that's so unique and delicious, someone without you being there can try it and still have that impact that I often think about that. If I wasn't there, if I wasn't hyping it up, if I wasn't like sampling in front of you, would somebody still taste it and say, this is great. And that's kind of the, that's the difference maker. I think on food and beverage products that really work is when that person doesn't need to be the one selling them on it. I don't think there's any other way, honestly. And I don't, I, I definitely didn't know that when I started this business, I didn't know how truly important that was, but luckily thank God that like, we do have a great product that people go nuts for and talk about it and try it because if we didn't, there'd be no chance I'd, I'd still be in business today. I mean, yeah. And the, the, the pricing of it too is a, a key thing because um, some people might look at your bag of popcorn and be like, that's too expensive, but that's not your customer. The customer that will buy it is somebody that's like, I'm willing to spend more on something that's really good. Yeah. And because the, the number one feedback we get is like, if you lowered your prices, you'd probably sell a lot more. And I go, if we lowered our prices, we'd go out of business, not because we'd be making less money, but because then we're just, we'd have to lower the quality of the coffee. And then we wouldn't be different from anything else on the shelf yeah. or anything else available online. And so I've, I've been very adamant. It's like, no, we're actually trying to get the price to go up so that we can pay yeah. more for great coffee. Yeah. Pricing is so hard. I mean, I, Pricing is incredibly hard. You, on one hand, you do want to have that higher price item because there's a premium, there's a value to it. People look at that and they just instinctively feel like it's going to be better probably. But, and, and you're right. I mean, and that's how my popcorn's been, uh, you know, I, I have had it priced higher. As you grow though, it's so difficult to kind of keep that price high because, and I'm struggling with it constantly. Mm-hmm is like if you want to compete against these other brands that have a lower priced item and the customer has you know this feeling that there's more value to it it's really hard to just kind of maintain that high price and i and i fight it still and i'm still trying to stay higher priced but um I don't know. That's one thing that just gives me so much anxiety cuz yeah. like everybody's like you just got to lower your price and you're going to raise your volume but then it's like, well, then how are you reverting to the mean? Are you decreasing like your brand strength? And that's just another thing I'm afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> it's another yeah. thing on the long list. Yeah. yeah. No, that's one. And then especially as uh, you run into like bigger chains and stuff, they'll tell you what price you need to be at. Uh, that was one of the most fascinating things about the beer world is learning about how Walmart and Costco work. Yeah. Because part of it is like Costco is a whole quote unquote wholesale store, but it's not. Like they're being sold to by wholesalers. So it's really not, you're not getting wholesale price. They have so much leverage that they're able to negotiate stuff down a lower than anywhere in the market. And so Costco, what they literally do is they go, we need it at this price 
or we'll find someone else that'll do it at that price. Yeah. And Walmart goes, whatever price you sell it to us at, we'll put our margin on top of it and sell it at that price. And if it doesn't sell, then you're gone. Yep. And that's why Walmart always has weird prices. If you've ever noticed it, like, like our, our the Sam Adams was sold for like twelve seventy eight. You're like, mm. why is it sold for seventy eight cents? That seems weird. It's because yeah. they they put their exact margin on it and go if it sells it stays. If it doesn't, it's out. Oh, or, I actually didn't even know that. I knew that they put their own margin on, it just like Costco does. But yeah, yeah I guess no. And like, Costco the, Costco says this is the price we'll buy it at and sell yeah. it at. You have yeah. to match that. And that's the ultimate example of a store like they can make or break your year in sales that leverage. But that kind of trickles down each level of like size of the store. Whereas like locally we have some great partners where they'll be like, we'll try it at this price. And if it works, we'll let, we'll stay there. And if it doesn't, we'll move. But even that gets difficult as you move up. So I think what I, I think what I might do moving forward is uh, what I've learned is that like it sells when it's on sale, regardless if it's like a $2, I don't see a big difference between like a $1 drop or a $2 drop. So what I think I might do is like try to increase the everyday price, but then get a more aggressive sales structure. So the customer is still getting the same value, but the perceived value is higher. Yeah. And so like, and so I'm, yeah, I think you're right. But then I would ask you, isn't it hard though? Like when you're selling your coffee in different areas, you know, you're selling it in different markets too. Yeah. I mean, some of your coffee is being sold in office buildings. Some of them you're, you know, you're doing bulk wholesale coffee for some mm-hmm. of them is in retail stores. I always find that really difficult yeah. too. My thing with that is you're always going to have your coffee. It's going to be priced at different prices in the same market. Mm. And the anxiety there is that someone will learn about the other price and go, well, what the heck? Why is that? I go, as long as I have a good reason why, and I can answer it right away, I, I don't stress about it. So if someone would be like, hey, it's twelve ninety nine at that store, why? And they go, because they match our discount that we give. Yeah. And if they don't do it, then you're the same price as them. Or like... Uh, you know, online. Why is your online more expensive? Because the people who buy online uh, value premium freshness over yeah. you know something on the store which is a little bit less fresh. And so I think as long as you have a reason to justify it, and at the end of the day, if someone comes to you and is like, "Why are you lower priced here?" and you're like, "Because they sell an insane amount of popcorn and they can do it." And yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So we've we've um, and that's all stuff that I've kind of had to learn. I mean, we we when we started growing and getting into more stores, we sell. I mean. It, within within markets like grocery, we sell to every grocery store at the exact same price. So yeah. the grocery store is going to decide, you know, you can't yeah. tell them what price. So they dictate it anyways. I was more talking about like different, like if you're, for instance, we oh, would sell like hotels. Oh, you know? I'm with it. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, how am I going to price this? But yeah, but when you mentioned it, actually, we'd have stores that were smaller stores that were super supportive of, of us when we were when we were small because you couldn't find us in more stores, but mm-hmm. then they'd get angry and they're like, why yeah. are you sold so much less at these other stores? I'm like, we don't, we don't, we just sell it to everybody at the same price. And you run into the weirdness of uh, like one of your original customers getting upset when they see you in other stores. Yeah. And that's a, t- that's a tough one. Cause like you understand why that's like, Oh, we loved, I thought we loved the local story in this. And now it's just everywhere. And you go, but if that's the only reason you're carrying it, then you actually don't want my overall business to succeed and you don't yeah. want us to grow. Yeah. And that, that, that was a weird one because I ran into that a few times of like people yeah. saying you're available in too many places now. We don't like your coffee anymore. I go, it's it's gotten better. Yeah. It's gotten better since we've been in your store. So I don't know what that reasoning is that like somehow so, how something tastes can be affected by 
you know, it's almost like a little bit of the hipster mentality. That's like, if too many people know about it, I don't like it anymore. Yeah. Oh, totally is. Which totally I am. Is. I'm super susceptible yeah. to that. If I'm the first one to learn about it, then other people learn about it. It's not the yeah. same anymore. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. It's uh, early on. I would be like, oh, I don't want to be in this store and I don't want to be in that store. And then like fast forward a few years later, I'm like, yes, I'll, I'll take your, I'll take your order. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's something I'm kind of milling around is like the geographical distribution of it. But um, if one thing COVID has forced is like the digital side is like it's more compelling than other ever. So that's been that's been the high focus yeah. uh, for us recently. Do you, do you do anything like do you do a big digital business with the popcorn? Nah, not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say digital, you mean like e-commerce? Yeah, just kind e-commerce, of yeah. direct to consumer. We barely online. do any social media, and that's been kind of. Uh, something uh, probably a mistake but um yeah we've been focusing more on on maddie and maze.com mm. and amazon um and yeah i mean being with edible arrangements it's really helped people like start trying trying us around the country and going back on to maddie and maze.com and buying it um but i i you know for so long i was focusing on how to just like work with these distributors and saying these distributors that i kind of lost focus on you know building the brand and the e-commerce side so that's, that's, I mean, and COVID has kind of forced my hand to be able to do that, but that's something that I've been focused on more over the last probably four or five months and it's been going well. So is that the, that's the, the one online channel that you, you're selling on right now is Maddie Maze? Uh, MaddieMaze.com, Amazon. Yep. Okay. So you yep. are on Amazon. Yeah. How, how long have you been on there? Has that been kind of a. Yeah. We just really kind of started selling on Amazon over the last few months, which is kind of wild. That's, like, well, that's <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I should have been doing a lot longer, but I, there's, you know, you can, there's a lot of problems that can happen when you're starting to sell on online. I mean, we have, uh, you know, whether it's lost shipments or, you know, melting issues or things mm. like that, you know, customer complaints, it can get out of hand. So I was like really careful not to expand too much, but just recently, we, I was like, oh, it's time to do Amazon. Let's let's try it. So it's been going well. How do you handle that with potential melting problems? I imagine it's not. So with melting, it would be like your birthday cake, which has more of kind of like the frosting on it. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of, are there, like this curry, I wouldn't imagine there's melting problems. or No, no. The, um, yeah, the melting thing is really, really hard. Um, I don't really have an answer for it, actually. Yet. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, a lot of companies that have, you know, melting issues just a lot of times don't ship yeah. during certain, I mean, Amazon won't even let you carry your items, uh, certain months of the year. And so, um, we just, you know, whether we ship it on ice pack or mm. something like that, and then you get people that get upset that you're, you know, we don't, we haven't in the past, we hadn't really charged for, uh, shipping on ice or anything like that, even though it's more costly to us, but we've had to, as we're shipping more to like Southern states, they get really hot. We kind of got to ship on ice and, and charge extra. So do you have SKUs where you don't have to ship on ice and it's not a worry? Yeah, we have uh, like our bourbon barbecue and yeah. our curry. Uh, those are flavors we don't ship on ice. Do you, hmm. I wonder if there's a way to online focus with just those ones only and have that be not a problem at all. Yeah, well, those are the flavors that I actually put on Amazon. Oh, first. okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 I was exactly, going to say, I was yeah. like, I hope you thought of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, uh, like, yeah, four months ago at the beginning of summer, we, we put our flavors that didn't have melting issues on Amazon. Cool. Yeah. And so I I want to ask, like, so what's next for you? But I, I feel like just based off our conversation, what I know about you, that's probably a, a pretty similar answer to the theme of the rest of this is that's like, I don't know. Uh, I could tell you maybe what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah, I, you know, 
my answer would be is I'm just really trying to, um, you know, just continue to grow, um, continue to make the best product that I possibly can that people, you know, want to, you know, continue to talk about it and want to continue to buy it and still develop flavors that are, that are unique. Um, and yeah, and just really, I'm focused on, on, on more of the grocery channel Mm -hmm. and, uh, the e-commerce side, um, but I'd also like to come out with like, you know, smaller packaging and do more mm-hmm. gifts. Um, but all in all, my, my goal is really just to kind of keep expanding and having yeah. without sacrificing any any product. And we've got this new brand that we're releasing um, next week, too. So that should be really interesting. Is that, this, that one, that's this one here? Yeah, Fan, yeah. Fancy pop, Is that what it's fancy called? Popcorn. Fancy popcorn. Yeah, Maddie and May's Fancy Popcorn. Um, I, I, I tried to get away a little bit from the small batch and the gourmet and that kind of stuff. And yeah. So I think fancy. I mean, that's kind of what we are. We just have like a little bit fancier popcorn, and, and I, I I love the name. Like that's yeah. that's how I describe it. It's, oh, it's like fancy popcorn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when people say what's unique about you or different, it's it was it's hard to figure out. You know, obviously we got you know pretty crazy flavors, but we just have flavors that are just yeah, a little fancier. So yeah, but it, it is the popcorn. That, it's one of those things that's like if I want to. If I'm going somewhere for a party or whatever, I need to bring a snack or something. I need something unique because I don't like to just bring whatever. I like to bring something where like, oh, damn, Rob brought the heat here. And yeah. I, like I, that's my go-to. Yeah. Is your popcorns are incredible. And I think what I love about you is like you're very honest about what this journey has been like. Yeah. <laughs> because you talk to so many people uh, that are doing it and – I'm guilty of this too, is you always want to exude positivity because there's like this weird thing in the back of your head where you go, if anybody thinks everything's not perfect, then like something's going to fail because people are going to lose faith or whatever. It's like just even from our first meeting, it's like just a very open, honest conversation about like, this is what it's been like because you think, well, you're in target, you're the edible arrangements partnership. You just must wake up every morning, like on cloud nine. And you're like, no, it's been more stressful since we've gotten there. And I, I really appreciate that about you. And I think it's important for people to hear because, a lot of there are a lot most days are going to be more stressful than good but the wins are like it's it is that weird sickness where you're like it's mostly stress but there are those moments where it's all you know the stress you're at least building towards something that you're building yeah and that that's been kind of something i try to keep in mind sometimes that like as things are freaking out that I have to constantly remind myself that it's like hey exactly what Jeff and I were talking about last week that you go hey your worst day it's because you're doing something that you care that much about yeah. and you've put so much work into it. And I think there's a lot of people that they struggle to find that in life. Yeah. It's, it's almost like this gambling addiction where you live for the small wins. That's enough to just keep <laughs> you going. And it's that sickness, but it's exactly right. I mean, my, you know, bad days are bad days. They're, they're really bad, but I, you know, what keeps me going is there's those little small wins and you just hope that you have a few more small wins than you have bad days. And then hopefully there's more and, but um, yeah, I I uh, yeah I, I kind of look back on all this, and I it's pretty cool. But there's you know, like I said, it's a long road ahead, and um, good days, bad days. Well, you've built a hell of a business. I don't think Thank you'll you. ever admit that. I think <laughs> what you're doing is really cool. I think you have you. an absolutely amazing product. Thank you. And this new packaging is awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm really looking forward to the launch of that as well. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, so well, hey, that's like right on an hour. It's oh. got pretty good at that sense right wow. there. But 
No, I really appreciate you coming in. I think your story is awesome. And I still think you breeze over stuff like it's not a big deal. Like your problem of not celebrating wins is very, very real. Because yeah. what you're saying is like these steps you're taking along the way are a lot of people look at that. It's like, oh, if I could start a business and just get in targeting, get distributed, or like that partnership right there, that that's like a lot a lot of people look at that as like that would be the ultimate dream. Yeah. And I I I'd say this is that it's like sometimes it's looking at where you want to be can be really frustrating when you have big aspirations, but it also has to be grounded in what you've done. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm super lucky. The the stores that I've been able to work with currently or in the past. Um, and yeah, there's no doubt. Very lucky, very lucky. So I appreciate <laughs> it. And, and Hey man, I, I appreciate getting to know you and asking you advice. Cause I mean, you're doing a lot of amazing things too. And we can just all teach each other so much. Seriously. I mean, I, I've got a lot to learn too. I think that, I think that's the way people get better is when the, this, the, I go into almost every meeting and be like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I don't I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. And they're like, ah, ha, ha. I'm like, no, 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 no. I yeah. don't think you understand yeah. most of this. And it, it was that freeing moment. And again, I've referenced this in the past. That's like, Hey, guess what? Everything's made up. Yeah, every every single rule, everything, every the way everything's set up, somebody at some point made up. Yeah. So why don't we make something up and see if we can make it work? Yeah. And that's that that's a really it's I joke about it more so than often, but it does motivate me that I go, well, if someone gave if someone told me no, if someone says to me we don't do this, we don't do that, you go, but why? Who yeah. who decided you don't do that? Why don't you do that? Like, why is it that offices have terrible coffee? Why is it that high end roasters don't go for grocery stores? There's all these things you can start to be like, well, is it for a good reason, or is it because everybody just said, well, that's how it is? Yeah, people just don't do this. Yeah, you're a roaster, it's, you have to open a cafe. I go, yeah. I don't want to open a cafe. Nah, you should open a cafe. I don't want to open yeah. a cafe. <laughs> it's just like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I relate to you on the uh, not planning. Very, very many of the next steps. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, I got to get better at it though. I really do. But, yeah. Yeah. But again, it's like I said, if you planned out too far, nobody would ever do this. Yeah, exactly. And these are the things that make interesting things happen. Yeah. And without that kind of spontaneity, I don't think a lot of things would happen as they do. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I'm really glad you didn't keep pursuing trying to become wedding cakes, but with popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> wow. That would be nuts. Think about it. Like what if like wedding cakes were gone? That just would never happen. Well, weddings are gone. So yeah, they kind of are. Yeah. That's also a good reason yeah. to do that. Crazy world. Really appreciate you coming yeah, in. Thanks, yeah. Man. This will go up in a couple of weeks and I'll send you all the, the stuff then. But yeah, I honestly, I think this is a great story for people to hear. And it's very honest. And it, to you, it may just be like, yeah, but this is how it is. But a lot of people hide these things. Yeah. I talk to a lot of people that they'll tell you one thing and then you learn another thing and you're like, oh, this is crazy stressful for everyone. <laughs> totally is. It's it's really hard. Um, but I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'd love your listeners to buy some of the popcorn and support us. It means a lot. <laughs> yeah. Every bag. Yeah. No, Maddie and Maze. I'm not, this is, it's one of my favorites. That's why I'm glad you're a, guy, you're a good guy too, because it's the worst when you love something, you meet them, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. But well, uh, this is all fake. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is all manufactured. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for coming in and I'll say have a nice day. <laughs>